passage where Joseph began reading at the beginning of our worship gathering. Beginning in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Father, we're grateful for your word. Do work in us today through your word, through the power of your spirit that only you can do, so only you get the glory. We need you. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. We finished our series today looking at who we are and what we're doing as the Crossing Church. To some degree, this is the fourth time we've done a series like this in the last 27 months, which is part of the reason we're only spending three weeks this fall. But you can go back on our website, uh, some are on our podcast, eventually they'll be on our app, uh, and listen to the previous teachings we've done on making disciples, gospel transformation, the church gathered and scattered, church membership, uh, church leadership, identity, as well as gospel-centered worship, community, theology, and belief. But it's essential, we feel, that, that we take time every year to stop and assess, evaluate, this is who we are, this is what we're aiming at. Based on our identity in Christ, are we hitting the target? We're aiming for this vision to be a people who desire for all people to enjoy Christ by following Him and being changed by His gospel. Are we seeing that happen in our midst? Do we, as the people of God, have this desire? For all people, regardless of economic status, educational status, socioeconomic status, regardless of the color of their skin, do we have this desire for all people to find this joy in Christ that transcends their circumstances, this joy in Christ that they have always because it's rooted in Christ, not rooted in their circumstances, so that our lives are being rearranged to go out and proclaim the message of Christ and the gospel, to see them follow Christ and they too be changed by his gospel, as we're being changed by his gospel, as we follow Christ. Are we pursuing that? Are we aiming for that? Are we seeing that happen in our midst? If we are, then great. Let's celebrate those wins by recognizing it's only by His grace that that's happening. It's not because you have the most amazing leaders who've ever lived in the face of the earth. It's not because we're the most amazing people who've ever been a part of a church. It's not because we're a church plant. not because we have this incredible building. 
Are we singing certain songs? It's because of the grace of God. It's the only way we see the work of God fulfilled in our midst is because His Spirit, His grace chooses to do it. So let's celebrate those wins. Let's see those wins multiplied. And if we're not seeing it happen, then how do we adjust? So church, I hope you know, I hope you feel this, especially if you've been with us from the beginning. We have much to celebrate, right? We have much to praise God for of what we've seen in our midst, of what we've seen in ourselves, of the growth that we've seen in us as a people. There's much to praise God for. There's no shortage of blessings and the richness that God has poured out on us. We've been the recipients of His grace in unmeasured ways. And we should have increasing joy as God has worked out His will in us and through us. We are being changed. We are seeing people changed. Health is happening. We are experiencing the goodness of God. Like, don't lose sight of that. It's so easy just to see, well, we're not doing this. We don't have that. We're not experiencing that. And we lose sight of God's goodness. He's already poured out on us. And even as we assess and we attempt to make adjustments, let's not lose sight of the fact that God has brought us together. I can only speak for myself, but I have a feeling that many people in this room feel the same way. I would go to war with you anywhere in the world. And there's no other people on the face of the earth I would rather do this with than you. I'm grateful for the fact that God has created the cross in church, has put us together. And it's sustained us so far. And I'm more hopeful and more excited than ever about where we're going and what's still to come and how God is working out His grace in us. So today we look at this idea of gospel-centered ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, ecclesiology is just a fancy word for church, the study of the church. It comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called-out ones, which is what the church is, those who have been called out of darkness into light, set aside, aside as God's people in this world. Jeff and I were talking and, and discussing and grieving the continued racial issues that we see in our country Friday morning, and she jokingly made the comment, okay, when do we move to Bermuda? As though there's no racial conflict in Bermuda, right? And, and I, I said to her, preaching to myself at the same time, we're, we're already part of God's kingdom, right? We're already part of the only kingdom that can truly bring the change that's necessary to see these things fixed. And God has put us here. Not taking us out of the world, but left us in the world, even though we're not of the world, to see this transformation that needs to happen in the hearts and souls of people. That's the church. The people of God. So see this in light of what we've already looked at. We spent a time two weeks ago to look at our identity, the fact that we were born in this natural state of rebellion and sin and darkness and lostness, children of wrath, and only by God's grace... For God's glory have we been made alive by Christ through the gospel, the person and work of Christ. Life, death, resurrection. Never to be separated again from our Father, and now we walk in light. We have this new nature, these new desires where we actually can and desire to please our Father in heaven. So we no longer live as a slave to sin, we now live as servants to our King. We are empowered by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be sent as missionaries so that we can see more and more people experience this radical transformation that we've experienced. As we love our neighbors and as we disciple our families and as we share the gospel with our coworkers and the people we go to school with, we're sent in the power of the Spirit to be missionaries for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the mission that Jesse walked us through last week, the mission to be disciples of Jesus who make more disciples, to be missional communities that plant more missional communities, to be a church plant that plants churches, and to see this multiplied in our city and beyond until we die, or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first. So how do we organize ourselves to see our identity lead the mission in such a way that we can carry out the, the ramifications of this new identity. How do we organize ourselves? And, and I, I would just warn you, do not push back against that word organization. Like just because we have systems and plans and organization doesn't mean that it's flesh or man-generated or man-empowered. Our God is a God of order, not confusion. From the earliest days of the church in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit was bringing rapid growth and development, the Spirit was moving, there was multiplication of disciples. They quickly... 
had to be led by the Spirit to fix some problems. Like the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek, I mean, rather the Hellenistic widows, the Greek widows weren't being cared for, weren't being provided for in the distribution of food. They were impoverished. They depended on the church to take care of their needs. The Jewish widows were being cared for. And so God led the apostles in Acts chapter 6 to appoint seven men to oversee the distribution of food among the Greek widows. Now, the church was in the thousands already. The widows probably numbered in the hundreds, if not more. How do you do that without a plan, without organization, without systems? You, you don't. It didn't just kind of organically goop out and just take place. The, the Holy Spirit empowers the, the cha- transformation of people from death to life. The Holy Spirit empowers the spiritual gifts of administration and organization. And God uses those for His glory. So how do we organize? We organize ourselves into a local church. Now, through the years, there have been several markers that have been used and refined to define what is a true church. From, so from drawing from the totality of Scripture, we could spend weeks just walking through this definition. But just see the, the full picture of it. What, what a, a true church is. It's from one of my professors in seminary, Dr. Norman. The true church is a group of believers in Christ, united in fellowship and in the bonds of the Holy Spirit, set apart from the world in pursuit of holiness and worship and service, Committed and submitted absolutely to the revelation of Jesus Christ as given by the apostles, showing its authenticity in the right preaching of the word of God, the right administration of the ordinances, which are baptism and or supper, and church discipline. And the true church is also the unity of all of the redeemed of all ages that will be ultimately revealed and enjoyed in the final state. These qualities, these characteristics, these marks are what make the church the church. That we are this people who are followers of Jesus, committed to this fellowship, this unity, filled with the Holy Spirit, set apart from the world to pursue this thing that we are the only ones pursuing. This service and this worship and this obedience, committed absolutely to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this is what we proclaim. This is what we preach, the word of God. Not my word, not Kendrick's word, not Scott's word, not anybody else's word. This word. And we carry out these ordinances that that mark our entry into this life and our continued fellowship and relationship in this life. The baptism and Lord's Supper. And we also carry out church discipline. Now you you see all of these things in that passage that I read in Acts chapter 4 and 5. You see the apostles leading. You see the word of God flourishing. You see the Holy Spirit empowering. You see this community sharing life together. You see church discipline in Ananias and Sapphira. You see, um, um, you see people who are part of the church and people who are not part of the church. Now within that definition, you also see the difference between what theologians have also always called the, the universal church versus the local church. Universal church being all true believers at any given point in time. Local church being a gathering of professing believers in Jesus Christ. So you see this word church in the New Testament, sometimes it refers to the universal church. Sometimes it refers to the local church. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the universal church. It's not talking about one particular church, but the church in general. And then you see a word, uh, the word church in places like Romans 16.5. Greet also the church in their house. 1 Corinthians 1.2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. That's referring to a specific local manifestation of the body of Christ, the local church, just like we're organized. The church universal, in some ways, is invisible in that it's not limited to a physical location, and only God knows the true identity of the universal church. Only God knows who will truly be saved and who is truly saved. But the universal church is also visible because the Bible says we're like a city set on the hill that can't be hidden. We're like the salt of the earth that flavors and preserves the the rotten and decaying, corrupt earth that we live on. In other words, no matter what city, what jungle, what deep hole in the earth where God's people are, the church is. God's people will show up. And how they live and love and serve and proclaim, how they worship, you will see a local body of believers being the people of God. That is a church. Nothing in that definition says anything about a building. Nothing in that definition says anything about slides and ropes and bungee cords for your kids. Nothing in that definition says anything about what coffee we serve. It says nothing about where we're located. 
It's all about being a people empowered by God's spirit, carrying out God's mission as God's people. And so, how is the local church organized? Well, the local church is made up of, I didn't put this on the slide, but it's made up of regenerate members led by servant leaders called pastors and led to serve by leading servants called deacons. So the local church is organized, is made up of regenerate members led by servant leaders called pastors and led to serve by leading servants called deacons. Now pastor, other terms in the New Testament, bishop, elder, overseer, it's all the same office, the same function, the same person. Pastor shepherd is my favorite because I think it speaks to the servant nature of the position. Like we're not called to this to lord our authority over you. I'm in charge, do what I say. Like if you ever hear anyone who claims to be a pastor of the Crossing Church say something like that or imply something like that, like please call them on that. Please hold them accountable. Please hold me accountable. Like go see another pastor or elder and say, he just said I'm in charge, do what I say. Or something like it. I think he's kind of let it go to his head a little bit, who he is. That's not who we are. To serve, we're called alongside the people of God to know them, to know you, for you to know us. And once we know you, to lead you, to feed you, to protect you. But with this attitude of a servant where we're willing to lay down our life for your good. We believe the healthiest and most biblical picture of this is not to have one man in this role, but to have multiple men, a team of pastors, equally invested in caring for the flock, working together for the good of God's people. And we'll spend time later on, we have spent time walking through why we believe that that's not only the biblical picture, um, a team of elders are uh, multiples of elders, but we think it's the, the best picture. And, and serving as the sole elder in two different churches for over 10 years, I can tell you, it is the best picture. All right? It's the healthiest, the best picture. So three years ago, God began to bring together a group of men who would work together to, to bring about the crossing church uh, by the Spirit of God. In fact, it was three years ago today, the last Sunday in September, that our two families were in Huntsville, uh, sleeping in Paul Whaley's ba- basement and asking 10,000 questions and uh, worshiping with the Summit Crossing family. And, and then God sent uh, us back with this passion, this vision to see a, a gospel-centered church like that in Monroe, not identical to Summit Crossing, but take their DNA and see what it would look like in the city of Monroe. And uh, one of the first people that I think the Spirit of God laid on my heart and Jennifer's heart was to call this cool cat down at First Monroe who was leading the students and had a pet iguana. And I was like, man, if anybody has a pet iguana, then he's got to be a part of the Crossing Church. And so I uh, called Kendrick. Uh, we had lunch that week, and the Spirit of God was working and moving and, and brought him and Amelia uh, right there from the very beginning. And, and, and things happened, and, God, and the Spirit of God moved, and we became this group of people to, to see this um, lived out. And, um, and the way I like to describe it is the, the Spirit of God through four men, like a four-legged stool. Myself, Scott Kendrick, and Paul Whaley, the leading pastor at Summit. You take any one of those legs away, this thing doesn't happen. All four are essential to be used by the Spirit of God to become what is today the Crossing Church. Now, I took on the lead role probably simply because I had been a pastor for a decade, not because I knew everything or had ever planted a church before or had special access to God. None of that was true. Summit took me through an assessment process to get into their church planter school that I went through in 2014. Also began to go through the assessment, church planter assessment through Acts 29. So that by the end of 2014, Summit called a bunch of us to come over one Sunday and, and said to us and said to their people, hey, we've assessed this guy, we've checked him out. He's good enough, he'll do. He can be the first elder of the Crossing Church. Now we've developed and we're walking Kendrick through our process, a process that we genuinely hope we take many, many men through for years to come to become uh, the next elder of the Crossing Church. And Kendrick is is working on the application and someday really soon I hope to be able to stand before you and say, Kendrick has completed this application for the next 30 days. You pray and ask the Spirit, is Kendrick, does Kendrick qualify, meet the biblical qualifications to be the next elder of the Crossing Church? And if you agree, then agree. If you don't agree, then, then come see me and let me know if there's an issue in his life, this public examination, something that we, we're going to take our guys through every single year. We don't ever want to assume that because guys qualified once, they always qualify. And as the Spirit leads, Scott will go through the same process. 
And so while we refer to ourselves as elders because we've been functioning in that role, hopefully soon it's going to be 100% official. And we'll get them their own name tags and their special parking places close to the door. But the local church is led by servant leaders called elders. And God has, has sent them our way and helped that become part of our DNA from the very beginning. And we want to continue to see that happening, happen. The church is also led to serve by leading servants called deacons. Now, we don't have official deacons yet. We have many people leading us to serve who are functioning like deacons. Once we get our elders in place, once we get church membership in place, we're going to begin to examine how are we going to officially recognize the second office of the church. There's only two, elders and deacons, pastors and deacons. But a deacon is simply a servant. So in some ways, everybody in here is a deacon. Because you, you're serving and using your spiritual gifts, or you, or you should be. But there is a place in Scripture to set apart certain people and say, these people are leading us to serve in various ways and should be called a deacon. And then lastly, the church is made up of regenerate members, which is essential to who we are as a Baptist church. Like This is one thing that makes Baptist churches different from other denominations. We believe to be a member of a local church, you have to be born again. Made alive by Christ Jesus. Which, when you think about it, helps explain why we believe the local church is also a covenantal community. Where we spell out on a piece of paper that we sign, these are the expectations for me as a member of this local church that I am promising to that body of believers I'm striving to live out. Not only encourage me in that, but hold me accountable to that. Because I want to, through my life, demonstrate to this body and together we to this city, we are in fact the people of God. We are in fact born again, regenerate people who have been made new by Christ Jesus. So this is what it should look like. And a lot of you have seen, some of you have signed our church covenant. Um, it's available. We're going to continue to make that available to you. But it, it's our attempt to simply spell out what is the New Testament say a believer should look like? What should their life look like in action and in attitude, in relationship, in submission to authority, in accountability? What, what does the New Testament say? That's, there's nothing new that we put on there that's not already in uh, the New Testament. We covenant together as members of the Crossing Church to be in this intentional relationship with God and each other to pursue this calling as a local church. The covenant is simply spelling that out. Us pursuing covenantal membership is not about leaders trying to have control or authority or power over membership. Like, what authority or power do we have as members of a local church? Like, we have no legal authority over anybody. We're all here voluntarily. Can't make anybody do anything. Like, what are we getting out of this if it's all about power and control, right? Um, it's a covenantal thing. It's not power over people. Like, here's a contract, sign it, we're going to make you do something. Covenantal relationship is not contractual relationship. It's family relationship. It's very, very similar to wedding vows. Where a bride and a groom make specific promises to each other. So they want to be clear that this is what I'm covenanting with you in this covenant of marriage to be. This is who I'm claiming to be. Someone having to hold uh, through rich or poor and until death do us part. Um, like wedding vows, we're making these promises to each other. We just want to spell them out as a part of the crossing church. When Jennifer and I get in an argue, we have conflict, she doesn't whip out a piece of paper and say, look at what you promised to me on May 29, 1999. You're failing on number three, number seven, number eight, number ten. She doesn't do that. Like it's the look on her face. It's the, the pained expression, the hurt feelings, the tension that's now between us. I have hurt her. I have violated this covenantal promise that we've made. And now there needs to be repentance and reconciliation. And so that's the idea of, of even a church covenant on a, a much lesser degree, but in a, a same relational degree. Covenantal membership flows from the shared relationship we have with God as members of his family. And, and now the shared relationship we have with each other as members of the crossing. It's simply spelling out expectations. This is what we see in this passage I read in Acts 4 and 5, how these transformed followers of Jesus shared life and community. There were some who were part of this community, and if you notice in the last verse, some who were not. Verse 13, 
None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So you have these church people doing these amazing things, even church discipline happening, and the other people who are not part of them saying, uh, we think a lot of them, but we're not going to be any part of that. That's just kind of, that's too weird. People die in their worship gatherings. I've yet to see that happen. But it could. Not saying that if you break the covenant, you're going to drop dead one Sunday, right? But there, there is this idea, if you think of death in its essence, death cutting yourself off. So someone who continually, intentionally, unrepentantly pursues sin is trying to cut themselves off from the covenant community. Is trying to kill themselves from the covenant community because instead of chasing Jesus, they're chasing sin. And so we, as their family, pursue them as Paul pursued Peter in Galatians 2.14 and confronted him when he said he saw there Peter's conduct and the other Jews was not in step with the truth of the gospel. There's this loving, gracious pursuit of this person, calling them to, to repentance, to fight with them against their sin. That's the idea of church discipline, this accountability, this, hey, man, let's chase Jesus together. If you get to a point in your life where, where life is crushing you, our sin is captivating you, we're, we're coming to be what you need us to be, to help you through that season until you receive again the joy of your salvation and you again can chase Jesus. We need each other for that. I admit that uh, covenantal membership feels weird because church membership has not been spelled out probably in any of the churches that most of us, if not all of us, grew up in. It's, it's still kind of this new thing that people are rediscovering. Now, it's also a very old thing Historically, it's who Baptists have been from the very beginning, going back 500 years. But it's being rediscovered over the last decade or so, but it still feels kind of weird. Because usually joining a church is no different than joining the shopping club at Brookshire's. You give some personal information and you get a membership card, right? You get some advantages. You get to go to the business meetings or whatever the advantages are to being a member of a local church, right? And so we, Scott, we... Believe that church membership is more than that. Um, Thankfully, new member classes are becoming more common as churches have recognized. We need to be clear about what what we expect the members and what we're asking them to adhere to. And we as leaders, like we want to be the first to say, this is who I want to be. This description of this relationship, this membership covenant, hold me accountable. Like if, if, if we ask you to sign something and you don't see it in our life, then you need to come to us. There's biblical ways to do this. Or you need to go to one of the other leaders and say, I'm not seeing this in his life. He's either violating this or he's not doing these things. And so it's the same accountability that we ask of you, we expect of ourselves. We're also in the process of of finalizing our church membership process. We hope to share that with you in the next week or so. But a couple things that that I want to point out that are unique to the Crossing Church Number one, we believe that to be a member of the Crossing Church, you have to be part of a missional community. Like one of the main things that we're fighting against um, as a church plant in the city of Monroe is this mentality that church is Sunday morning only, right? Church is only Sunday morning. Like it's rampant in the Bible Belt culture. It's rampant really everywhere, this, this religion. This religious idea. I show up on Sunday, I check the box, I attend the service, I go through some motions, I've done church. I'm a part of a church. And so um, you see that everywhere. And, and Sunday mornings are important. So don't hear me say that Sunday mornings aren't important. We, we think Sunday mornings are crucial and an essential part of being the people of God. We've always gathered on the Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday, to be the people of God, corporately worshiping our King, our Savior. That's always who we've been. And we want to continue to do that well because this is a huge front door to our culture. Like you can go to friends and family members and coworkers and say, would you go to church with me one Sunday? Like they know what that means. You don't have to uh, dump all of your gospel centeredness on them from the first conversation. Well, we don't really go to church. We are the church. So let me explain that. Like don't hold them accountable for something that you've only understood in the last couple of years. Just you want to go to church with me. Okay, I, I get that. And then they come and maybe we talk things, talk about things a little bit differently or do things a little bit differently. Then you can walk them through this process of understanding what it means to be the church, the people of God, not a place, our service. 
So we want to do Sundays well. We want it to be a place that you can invite people through the front door of the church. But we're always, always, always going to press people. This is not all there is to the Crossing Church. This is a part of it. If you really want to be a part of us, if you really want to know what the church is, you've got to do life with us outside of these walls. You've got to go be the people of God in the city. And the way we're trying to do that, and we've had success and failure in this, is being these missional communities. The people of God on mission in the city. We're family, we're service, we're missionaries, we're sharing life, we're eating meals, we're in each other's homes, we're discipling each other, we're serving in places like Jack Hayes and the Oaks and Project 41 and Parkview Apartments, and we're, we're doing things to bring the love, the message of, of the hope of the gospel throughout our city, as well as all the places that you work, all the schools that you go to, all the neighborhoods that you live in. It's all part of being the people of God every day. That is just as important as what we're doing right now. And so for someone to come on Sundays and say, I'm here, check, and not be a part of that, you're not really a part of us. We don't really know who you are. Like even though we visit, we drink coffee, and we have conversation before and after the the worship gathering, that's just Sunday morning church conversation. Nobody's going to just start vomiting out all their sins right here in this place. They might. But more than likely, we're going to kind of keep it tame. Until we can get into a, an opportunity to have a real conversation with somebody and really begin to open up about what, where we're broken and where we need the gospel. That's only going to happen in relationship outside of these walls. And so for someone to be a member of the Crossing Church, they've got to be in missional community life with us for at least three months so that we really have a chance to get to know you and you get a chance to know us. We get a chance to observe your life and, and say, yes, we see evidence of the, the regenerate nature of Christ in them. We see evidence of the fruits of repentance in them. They love Jesus. They are pursuing Jesus. They are not self-righteous. They are admitting that they're sinners and they need Jesus. And this is how they're struggling through that. And we also believe it's equally as important that you uh, be in or pursuing, admit that you need or want what we call DNA-type relationships, right? So men with men, women with women. You're going deep together, meeting regularly to uh, talk about the sins you struggle with in a way that you wouldn't talk about in mixed company, in a way that is honest, authentic, and real. And you're allowing men and women to speak the gospel into your life. Now, ideally, this is important, ideally DNA happens where three or four men or three or four women meet regularly, and gospel each other through life, ideally. Happens within people who are already in a missional community. That's ideal. That's what we would prefer. But realistically, we know that that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have people outside of missional communities, either in other MCs that are part of the Crossing Church, or maybe who aren't even part of the Crossing Church. Maybe instead of three or four men, or three or four women, it might be five or six men, or five or six women. The main thing isn't exactly what it looks like, that you're checking a box and you have all the little marks down. The main thing is, are you bearing witness? Are you sharing your soul with other people who can hold you accountable and encourage you in the gospel? Do you have people who know you well enough to know your struggles and know where you struggle to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that happening in your life somewhere? If it's not, just be honest about that. Like, I want that, I need that, I'm trying to pursue it, but I'm struggling to get it. Okay, we can help you. The only thing we we would 100% object to is this. I don't want it, I don't need it. Then we'd be like, whoa, hang on. What do you mean? You don't want other people to disciple you in the ways of Christ and to know you intimately and speak the gospel into your life. There's a a heart issue there. And so we want people... who become members of the Crossing Church to be in a missional community and to be pursuing these DNA relationships, admitting they need it, they want it, and are pursuing it. And that's, that's not like we're adding something that's unbiblical. We just think that's an explanation of what's already we see in Scripture. This is who the people of God are. This is what they do. This is how they live. Just read the book of Acts. So, in light of who the church is and what the church is created to do, created by Jesus to be followers, sharing life and demonstrating the presence and power of Christ in the world. That's who we are. Organized as regenerate members and leaders in a covenant community, fighting with each other against sin, not fighting each other in sin. I want to lastly deal with this question. Why do you need to be a part of this? Why should you be a member of a local church? 
Not necessarily the crossing, because more than likely, we're not all going to be members of the crossing for the rest of our life. It, it could happen. I met a lady just a couple of weeks ago who's old, and she was a charter member of Bayou Oaks Baptist. And she's in the last years of her life. And she's been a member all those years. And so there could be people in 50 years, tons of gray hair, falling out, teeth, you know, just old. And you're like, I'm a charter member of the Crossing Church. I've been here from 2014 and on. And that'd be awesome. Like, we would love that. That'd be so cool. But more than likely, the Spirit of God is going to send us. He's going to move us because of job, because of family, because of circumstances. Maybe even send some of us out to be part of other church plants that the Crossing sends out in the future. Like, that would be really cool. Whatever the case, he's going to send us out and... And be part of other churches. So why do you need to join a church in those cities? Why does anybody need to be part of a local church? There's three, three things I'd like to share with you. First, for your own good. You need to be part of a local church for your own good. So think about it in these terms. Assurance. Like how do you know you're a Christian? Like you don't get a piece of paper that says you're a Christian. You don't get an email that you can show everybody. You don't get a card and you come alive in Christ. This card, membership card shows up in your wallet. You get a new life that demonstrates and exhibits this change of nature from rebel to worshiper. The problem is we deceive ourselves. Or we can be taught bad theology that tells people, well, you're simply a Christian because you made this religious commitment on this day. You prayed this prayer. You walked the aisle. You were baptized. And people will do that and have people say, well, now you're a Christian. Instead of, we'll see. Let's find out. You, you did this. You're confessing Christ. Are you truly born again? I don't know. We're going to find out as you live it out. Or if you just were religious. But what if there was a body of believers who knew you, who could look into your life and bear witness and say, we see the fruits of repentance. We see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That makes a huge difference for us. Because, guys, we all continue to sin and struggle with sin. And while sin does not do away with genuine salvation, sin does rob us of peace and assurance of salvation. And we need people in our life who can say, hey, I'm chasing sin. I'm not sure I'm saved. And other people to say, well, I don't know if you're a true Christian either. Let's walk it out. Let's talk it out. Let's examine it. And then come along and say, yeah, we see fruits of salvation in you. Sin is captivating you. Life is crushing you. But we want to help. You walk in obedience again. So you can have peace and assurance. You try and do that on your own. Good luck with that. But often we're not as horrible as we think we are. And there's more evidence of God's grace in our life than we currently see. And so we need each other to help us see what God's grace is doing. Or, or we need each other to say, yeah, we think you're just religious. And you need to repent and believe in the gospel and the beauty of Christ. is greater than sin. So it's for your good for assurance. It's for your good for perseverance. How are you going to finish this race? How are you going to make it to the end? On your own? I mean, the beauty of things like CrossFit and these workout classes they have at gyms is the community it creates for mutual encouragement and accountability. And studies will tell you that people who get in shape and stay in shape are far more successful when they do it with others than trying to do it for, for on your own. So now if that's true of us physically, imagine how much more true of it of us is it spiritual? How much we need each other to be who God's created us to be. James 5, 19 and 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's not implying work salvation. We could deal with that text another day. But that is showing us clearly this desire to pursue each other and bring each other back from wandering from the truth. We're created to do that. We need each other to keep us from wandering from the truth. If it could happen to Peter, who stepped away from the truth of the gospel and needed Paul to pursue him, it can happen to any of us. Take heed lest you fall, church. It's for your good for assurance, for perseverance. It's for your good for submission. 
Like we all need people in our life that we submit to. If you have constructed your life in such a way that nobody pushes against you and there's no one in your life, you have to say, not my will, but your will be done. Then you're in a dangerous place. Whether it be parents, coaches, bosses, professors, or whoever. We all need people in our life that we have to yield to their leadership that God has placed over us, to their authority that God has placed over us. And one area God provides an opportunity to submit to leadership is the local church. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as though who I have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with moaning, groaning or moaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. I confess that in years past, I didn't want to share that verse with church people. I'm like, ah, this is kind of self-serving. Obey me, church people. And then the Spirit of God helped me to see. I'm going to be held accountable for these church people, given account for their souls, and I'm holding back from them part of the full counsel of God. God have mercy on me. Like, I, God's called and put me in this position by His Spirit, not by my choosing. And so I'm, I've, got to, I've got to lead you well, and you've got to follow our leadership as we follow Christ only. Not that you believe everything we say, but you test everything we say to make sure it's of God, of Christ, of the Scriptures. And then we go together to pursue this. Again, we lead you as servants, not as kings, lording authority. And even in our model of the plurality of elders, there are many occasions where we've come to you and we've said, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? And we've gotten feedback from the people of God before we make decisions as leaders that God has put in place here. So even though we don't have... You know, business meetings, we're voting on everything. Hallelujah. We're not leading you as though we don't care what the body of Christ thinks. We, we believe every single regenerate member of this church is filled with the Spirit of God. Has the same access to God that leaders have. So what the Spirit of God says to you, even if you're the only one, matters. We want to know. And so we lead in a way where we get input from the body of Christ as we lead the body of Christ to accomplish the purposes of God. It's for your good for community. Assurance, perseverance, submission, and community. A Christian to say, for a Christian to say they don't need the church is a foreign concept of the New Testament. Like if you walked into the state of Alabama and you said, hey, I'm an Alabama fan and an Auburn fan. They wouldn't know what to do with you. Go back to Arkansas, wherever you came from. I'm a Republican and a Democrat. I'm going to vote for Hillary and Trump. Like, there's no category for that. It doesn't make sense. I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. The New Testament will look at you like a puzzle reaction. What are you talking about? Of course you need the church. Now, uh, you're not a Christian. Um, church membership is not, is not optional. Church membership is not optional for a Christian. Like, if you as a Christian say, I don't need or want the church, I would say, you're not a Christian. It's not someone who's been regenerated by the Spirit of God. You're just religious. And you've become your own Savior, if you really believe that. Now, does that mean that church membership is a, is a part of salvation? Like you can't be saved unless you're a member of church? No, that, that's not what that means at all. But there, there should be some very extenuating circumstances if a Christian is not a member of the church. Like you're dying on the cross when you come alive in Christ. And you can't get down and go become a member of a church. Or you're on a plane that crashes on a deserted island, and you spend the rest of your life, you come alive in Christ as a plane's going down, you spend the rest of your life just you and a volleyball on a deserted island, and there's no church to join. It's just you. Okay, then that makes sense. You're not a part of a church. Otherwise, a Christian is part of a community called the church, and a Christian is the first to admit it. I need it. I want it. And so you join the local church for your own good. You also should join a local church for the good of others. So again, this idea of community, carrying it forward. It's not just I need it and I want it so I can get. God help us if that's our attitude. But it's I need it, I want it so I can give. So I can serve others in community and build up and encourage others. It's the analogy that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12. We are one body with many members. If you wake up tomorrow morning and one of your legs decides not to work, Monday is not going to go well. The body is healthiest and functioning best 
when all members are functioning in the way that they're created to function. If you don't have a part, or you're not doing a part as, as part of the Crossing Church, please let somebody know. Whether it be on Sundays, or whether it be in your missional community, every member, and the, the body functions best when every member is healthy and functioning in their roles. So there are opportunities to teach kids, play with and pray over kids in the nursery, uh, serving in other capacities on Sunday morning, Mostly, though, in your missional community. Where are you serving and helping and being the part of the body of Christ in your missional community, in your DNA groups? For the good of others in commitment. One writer said that many bowling leagues have a more rigorous membership process than most local churches. Right? you got to show up and play. If you're going to be in a bowling league, you got to pay dues. We live in a low-commitment culture. It's for the good of others. It's for the good of each other to see people fully invested in this thing called the local church. Fully giving your life away to something that's greater than yourself. There's not a a, a tremendous amount of benefit received from it in in the physical realm. Most of it's in the spiritual realm. Treasures are laying up in heaven. But to give your life for it, even when it's not reciprocated to you, is, is huge edification to each other as we pursue this together. And Thirdly, also for the good of others, evangelism. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus gave the church alone the great commission to go into all nations and make disciples. The church alone are these disciples who demonstrate the reality of their discipleship and their love for each other. And so it's for the good of those who have yet to come into this community. Like we benefit from being a part of this community. But there are others outside of these walls, outside of the body of Christ, outside of the kingdom of God, who have yet to enjoy what we get to enjoy. And so we live in a way where we love each other, demonstrating the reality of the gospel, and then we go and tell. We go to all the nations and proclaim the gospel so that others can come alive and become a part of this. So we join a local church for our good, yes, but also for the good of others, especially those who aren't part of the church. Guys, Monroe is rampant with people like that. Rampant with people who are not thriving in their walks with Christ, either because they are lost or they're religious. They can be a member of a local church and still be stagnated and unhealthy. We can bring this picture of the true body of Christ uh, to them. Third reason, you're good, the good of others. Third reason we join a local church is for the glory of God. As we use our gifts, as we're diverse yet united, who but God? Who but God would bring this together? Who but God could accomplish anything through this mess, right? Who but God could, could accomplish eternal things through very imperfect people? with very imperfect spiritual gifts. Like I was praying this morning as as I was driving over here. Like, God, what you need to do in us, I can't do. And it's true of everybody who stands up here every Sunday. I can't make things happen in your heart. It doesn't matter how good I think these words are put on this thing, this screen. The work that, that needs to be done in us is something only the Spirit of God can do. None of us are talented enough or good enough. And if we were that talented and that charismatic and are speaking, I'd be scared to death that we'd be manipulating you. And so the work that needs to accomplish in us, only God can accomplish. And so whatever good happens in and through the crossing church can only glorify God because nobody looks at us and says, well, of course those guys made it happen. Only God can accomplish this. God is also glorified in the purity of doctrine. As we proclaim this one gospel through this one man, Jesus Christ, as we contrast the pure doctrine of the gospel of God with false doctrines that are in the world, as people see clearly that Jesus alone is the way to salvation, then then God is glorified because people see the difference between truth and falsehood, between darkness and light. And the one true God who alone can save through Jesus alone This one way of salvation is made known throughout the world as we fight for pure doctrine and truth. And then lastly, the glory of God in church planting. 
as we make disciples who make disciples, as we plant churches that plant churches, God is accomplishing his purpose throughout the world. And it seems, Jesse mentioned this last week, it seems so like, how is that ever going to happen through us? Only God knows. Only God knows. I can't tell you. We're supporting, uh, over 10% of our funding goes to help support church planting around the world. So we're giving money that's furthering the kingdom of God through different agencies around the world already, accomplishing things that we don't even know until we get to heaven. Maybe then we won't know. And we're hoping and praying that God will send us people who we can send out to plant churches one day and be involved in church planting around the world. How that looks, we don't know. But as we are part of this local church, we are helping accomplish what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18-20. All authority has been given unto me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. We're fulfilling what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, that when the Holy Spirit has come upon us, we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are part of leading up to the picture of Revelation chapter 5. This multitude of believers gathered around the throne of God, singing glory and praise to the Lamb of God, who was slain before the foundation of the world. Guys, if you consider yourself a part of the Crossing Church, I strongly encourage you that before the end of 2016 to go through the membership process, set a God-glorifying goal to become an official member and go with us. If you're part of us and you're not sure about this, please sit down and let us know what those barriers are. Maybe we can fix it. Maybe we can. And then let's go. Let's join together in a covenantal relationship to be the people of God in our city and see God work in us and through us for the good of our city, for the good of ourselves, and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for who you are, that you would save us, that you would use us, that you would bring us together. We thank you so much for what is the Crossing Church And we ask that you continue to do your good work. Continue to draw our hearts together, to bind us in relationship with each other. Continue to captivate us with Jesus. Continue to help us to see the the putridness of sin and chasing sin. Help us to see our self-righteousness that we need to repent of. Help us to see um, where we fail to believe and fully trust Jesus, with everything that we are. And then give us life. Give us repentance. Give us the hope that you came to give. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.